This is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Largo Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new used or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. Do you ever feel the need for speed? Well, experience the thrill of indoor karting at Tampa Bay Grand Prix, located at 12350 Automobile Boulevard in Clearwater. Call 727-527-8464. They have state-of-the-art electric carts racing around a quarter-mile road circuit. Bring your family, friends, and teammates for some speed, fun, and competition at Tampa Bay Grand Prix Indoor Karting Facility. Call 727-527-8464. Visit their website at tampabaygp.com. Han Solo, I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I've outrun Imperial starships, not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Karelian ships now. She's fast enough for you, old man. What's the cargo? Only passengers. Myself, the boy, two droids, and no questions asked. What is it, some kind of local trouble? Let's just say we'd like to avoid any Imperial entanglements. Well, that's the real trick, isn't it? And it's going to cost you something extra. 10000 all in advance. 10000 We can almost buy our own ship for that. But who's going to fly it, kid? You? You bet I could. I'm not such a bad pilot myself. We're going to sit here and listen. We can pay you 2000 now, plus 15 when we reach Alderaan. 17 Okay, you guys got yourselves a ship. We'll leave as soon as you're ready. Docking Bay 94. 94. Looks like somebody's beginning to take an interest in your handiwork. Julie, get us out of here! Oh my, I'd forgotten how much I hate space travel. TV.com. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show.
Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. For the evening, last week, this week, next week, and every week thereafter. Yes, sir, I'm your show host, Robert. To the fascinating and legendary radio show, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, guess what? Cedric, how are you doing this evening? I am well. You are well. You know, we've had some interesting weather again lately here, haven't we? Yeah, we're keeping an eye on that right now. It looks like uh, we should be in the clear tonight, though. But we should be okay. So I'll keep keep you updated. No lightning strikes. No uh, nothing yet. Nothing's going to blow up on us. No, uh, mo- there's there's some uh, nasty weather over in Tampa, but it doesn't look like it's going to make it all the way over here. Okay, of course we're in the lightning capital of the world. But anyway, run your computer and Google Tantalk thirteen forty dot com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Also visit our website golfstreammotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, you can check out our podcast, and don't forget to like us on Facebook. Hey, do we have any radio giveaways? I think we got a radio giveaway to the ninth or 10th caller. Cedric, don't we have something for the Mosey or something like that going on? Or what uh, do we got? I'm sure I could dig something up. Bobby, what do we got in there? Hey, Bobby, you're sitting in the studio tonight. What do we got going on? Tell Cedric so I can... Uh, I've somehow misplaced my notes. If you can I've admit. got... I've what got do we got? Bumper stickers back here too. I've got bumper a whole stickers? bunch of double. D- which one? W T A N one. We I actually have some some Ted Nugent ones that I've stashed back here. You have some Ted Nugent. You Hang know, on, I've, I'll I, dig them out. Whoa! Hey, the eleventh caller gets a Ted Nugent. Let's just see if we still have some of those. But anyway, uh, so uh, yes, we have Spirit of the Wild. Ted Nugent, but well, somebody saved a couple extra ones. That's good. That's good. Anyway, hey, you know, we've uh, been working on some stuff here lately, some car stuff. But what's interesting, you know, uh, I mentioned all the time that we, oh, yeah, love the animals. They're delicious. That's a Ted Nugent uh, Spirit of the Wild sticker. We need to get some more of that. I have to send off for uh, some good stuff. Look, the phone's ringing. The phone is ringing again. Look at that. And there it goes again, and there it goes. That's amazing. You know, when there's radio giveaways, there's always uh, people in there looking for stuff. But, hey, I don't blame them. Oh, yeah, be sure to check out on our website. We have our stuff page, and, of course, we still have some T-shirts, and we have bumper stickers, okay? So, anyway, but uh, where I was going with this is, uh, you know, it's funny how things work. Um, I mentioned to you guys, and you all know that I do appraisals and pre-purchase inspections. Well, this week must be my week for Lincolns, because I had a guy call me up the other day, and he had a 1947 Lincoln that he was looking at purchasing. It was a resto mod. Somebody had put an Art Morrison chassis underneath it and a small block Chevrolet like an LS6 or something like that and uh, AOD and some kind of other cool little gadgets. And and I can perfectly understand why a lot of guys do that. You'll get a guy that, for example, has a lot of money and he's got a really, really, really nice 57 Chevrolet, for example. Okay, you know, 57 Chevrolet and a 57 Thunderbird are probably the two most iconic, classic 50s automobiles. And uh, so if a guy's got a really, really nice restored car, he doesn't necessarily want to drive it all the time because the car is pretty much nicely restored and he's got a trailer from show to show. And it may be a, uh, you know, a ACA car that uh, is uh, being judged on a national level. And, you know, you got to keep the car kind of nice and pretty all the time. And he can't really enjoy it because he can't really drive it. If you've got kind of a beater or edgy kind of car, you can drive those cars. And I talk about this all the time on the radio show. You know, I drive beaters because they don't require as much maintenance. 
They don't eat as much as they say. You're still a slave to your classic cars regardless. But you can drive them, have fun, don't have to worry about parking them anywhere and get caught in the rain like we have a lot of rain here in Florida. Plus, we have a lot of humidity. And uh, regardless of what time of year it is, you know, your stuff will sit in the garage. And unless you've got a climate-controlled garage, your stuff will just uh, pit. That's just what happens. It pits, it oxidizes, and it sweats, and, uh, you know, it starts to rust. And it just, it's just a fact of life down here in the, uh, in the tropical region of uh, Florida here where we're at in the Tampa Bay area. But nonetheless, so a lot of guys like to take, uh, if they've got a lot of money, uh, they like to take an older car, for example, a 57 Chevrolet or, uh, in this case, a 47 Lincoln, and incorporate state-of-the-art electronics, state-of-the-art drivetrain. Now the guy's got a car that looks really, really cool and vintage, like his 1947 Lincoln Continental, and he's got all the -the state-of-the-art goodies on it, so it drives and handles and rides and blows air and has nav, just like his brand-new spiffy little BMW. So it's kind of a cool little car, or Mercedes or Audi or Lexus or, you know, Lincoln or Cadillac or whatever else you might have. On his day-to-day, for a day-to-day driver, which is actually kind of cool because a lot of guys are into it. Now, I wasn't originally, but because uh, I still like points and I still like playing with a carburetor. And I still like wrestling around with a car when it uh, doesn't want to start every once in a while. Like uh, like my excursion. We got that sound effects here where my truck kind of wants to start once in a while. Oh, but at any rate, so this guy's uh, looking to buy this car. And uh, so he gave me a call. Uh, he was referred to me, and I talked to him last year because he was looking for a Mustang. And uh, so I told him what my thoughts were on it. And and I have to be kind of impartial. Now, I may not be a big fan of, of Russell Mods, but you know what? If they're done really, really right, they uh, <laughs> they can be a lot of fun. They're cool. So, But they're very expensive. But the best way to buy one is to buy one that a guy spent $100,000 on it as a round number, for example. And you can buy the car for about half because they really don't have a resale value. So keep that in mind when you buy these Resto Mods. You're going to get a good deal if you buy one used. It's had a lot of stuff done to it, and it runs and drives, and everything works. Turns left, turns right, goes straight, brakes work, shifts, wipers work, even the horn blows, all that cool stuff. But it is not a classic car, and amongst us purists and collectors, those cars have very little value. So that's just the way it is. Another guy called me up today, and he's got a 1931 Lincoln, and uh, that's a very, very cool car. It's a pre-war car, you know, the 29, 30, 31, 28, 29, 30, 31 Lincolns, kind of like the Model A's. They all kind of look alike, but it's a big car. Hand-built, beautiful car. Ford owned Lincoln Mercury at the time, or Lincoln at the time, and uh, they bought him in 1922, and that was Etzel Ford's idea to buy Lincoln, and they've been on a roll ever since. Back in those days, they were a high-end car. And a lot of cars were built, you know, let's say, for example, a 1931 Lincoln, depending on the chassis. If it's an all-Ford slash Lincoln body, that's one thing. But if it was a custom chassis car, or custom body car, rather, on a Ford Lincoln chassis, then the values change. Now, he's not quite sure what the value of this car is. That's something i got to look into, and I'm probably going to meet with the guy next week. But point being is, is that when you buy these cars... You need to do your homework first. Look at the cars. Get an idea. Don't just pick up a magazine and look at a picture and read the title, and it says Lincoln or it says Auburn or it says Packard or something like that, and you think the car's worth a ton of money. There are different Auburns. There are different Packards, and there are different Lincolns, and there are different Cadillacs. And if they're on custom-bodied cars on you know the chassis, that makes a huge, huge difference in the value because they're done in, generally in limited runs. So, anyway, having said that, hey, we got something spinning around in the turntable there? Yeah, we do. We do. We're going to play a little music for you guys. What's up? What's, what we got? Oh, little Guns N' Roses. 
Didn't they play that song, or wasn't it used in one of the Terminator videos? Was it Terminator 2, 3, or something like that? Welcome to the jungle. I'm going to check. Check that. Yeah, I'm curious. All right, we'll be right back. A little Guns N' Roses. Welcome to the jungle. I feel like that every day. Welcome to the jungle. It is a jungle out there. Stick around. We'll be right back. You tune into Nostalgic Radio on Cars. Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Your Pizza Shop, located at 1200 8th Avenue Southwest in Largo, offers a great selection of personalized pizzas, pastas, and calzones, as well as delicious wings, subs, salads, and tasty desserts. Enjoy the relaxing atmosphere and scenic view overlooking Pinecrest Golf Course. Remember, for the finest pizza anywhere, takeout, delivery, or catering, call 581-1101. That's 581-1101. Or order online at yourpizzashop.com. It's Tim Strange, host of Spike TV's Search and Restore on the Power Block, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We're back. Yes, you are. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, we got a new segment I'm going to incorporate into my show, and it's called Robert's Rant. Yes, sir, Robert's Rant. I'll tell you why. I went off last week a little bit about uh, PI lawyers, ambulance chasers, you know, because I do... Uh, basically diminished values and i mean they're legit you know it's the real deal but and 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 i have consultations with people and most of the time you know i will tell people up front look i can help you or i can't 
unlike an attorney who basically misleads you. But anyway, so I'm not going to talk about lawyers right now. What I'm going to talk about is the other day I had to go into the local Honda dealership. A little excursion with my son here a couple weeks ago. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I had to get a little nut for the front uh, spindle shaft uh, for his little Honda 50. It's an old vintage 70s Honda mini trail. And while I was there, we were kind of looking around some of the other stuff that they had down there. And they had a, uh, you know, they got the Yamahas, they got the Can-Ams, they got the usual Bonsai Toto Specials. You know, uh, they got all kinds of good stuff over there. But there was this large guy, and he was looking at buying a scooter because he wanted to be thrifty, economical, green, and so on and so on and so on. Now, here's a guy that's probably pushing 300 pounds, and he's looking at a scooter that probably weighs 250 or 300 pounds, and he's going to kill it. Little thing's probably going, hey! Fatso, get off me! Anyway, back to the story. Is this a paying customer? <laughs> and uh, so, it you know, and, and the, the part that I thought was kind of funny is you could tell this guy's never been on a scooter before, much less a motorcycle, much less probably even a bicycle. I'm not sure. So I'm not sure if he was on any two-wheel vehicle at any point in time in his life. But anyway, so he's he's looking at this thing, and the salesman doing his darndest to sell this guy a scooter. Well, the guy's concern is, and I was kind of like all ears at the moment, all ears. We need to find that clip uh, from Perot, all ears. I'm all ears. But anyway, so the guy's all ears, or I'm all ears, rather, and the guy said there's concern about safety. Well, the guy's sitting there saying, well, you know, you're kind of a big guy, and if you're going to tell you, you can handle a little heavier scooter. We're talking scooters now. We're not talking motorcycle. We're talking scooters, okay? And the guy sits there and convinces this guy, if you buy a big, bulky scooter... You've got safety. you got more safety. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I drive a car, okay? Now, I mean, I've, I've ridden dirt bikes since I was a kid, motorcycles on the street. I'm not comfortable on motorcycles on the street, although I ride once in a while. I'm just used to having sheet metal on all four corners. For example, a set of fenders on the front of my car and a set of quarter panels on the back of my car, and usually four wheels and tires somewhere on the car, preferably on four corners. But nonetheless, so here's this guy misled to believe that he can put his 300-pound body on a 250, 300-pound scooter that's bulky, and he's going to be safe. Now, you know the guy's going to be petrified, and I know you've seen these guys riding down the road. they got the little bean shell on their head, the little brain bucket, and they're buzzing around, and they're in the fast lane of all places with a death grip on the handlebars and the infamous deer in the headlights stare just like they got blinders on, like they're just focused. They can't look left. They can't look right. Because afraid they're going to tip over and fall off. And they're going 30 miles an hour. now. And Or I've actually seen them on some of the highways around here. It just boggles my mind. Hey, people, don't take the chance. I mean, you really, you know, the scooters are scooters. Buzz around the neighborhood. Go to your local 7-Eleven if you have to. Or, you know, take a little Sunday cruise when there's not a lot of traffic down to the beach or something like that. But stay off busy roads during 5 o'clock traffic or drive times in the morning and drive times in the evenings. And if you're scared to death to ride a bicycle, the last thing you want to do is get on a scooter. So we got a couple of events cracker. coming up here. A dumb cracker. Call me a cracker? You dumb cracker, cracker, cracker. Oh, man. But at any rate, uh, let's see. What do we got coming on? Hey, there's something really cool going on in uh, Hiawassee, Georgia here, uh, August 8th through the 10th. It's called the Moonshine, uh, Georgia Mountain Moonshine Festival. Or no, Georgia Mountain Moonshine Cruising. Something like that. Anyway, that sounds like it'd be kind of cool. They do a deal up in Georgia around fall sometime, just before Thanksgiving. And it's also a moonshine get-together. And it takes place up there near uh, Gainesville, Georgia, just outside of Dawsonville. And if you 
if the name Dawsonville rings a bell, it should because uh, Bill Elliott, awesome Bill from Dawsonville, NASCAR guy, lives up there. So a lot of the guys evidently drag out their old uh, vintage 40s, uh, 50s, and early 60s moonshine vehicles. And I guess it's, uh, I've never been to it, but it's supposed to be a pretty good turnout. So my guess is this one here that takes takes place in uh, Georgia, up near Hiawasa, Georgia, which is just south of South Carolina. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Also, don't forget in Orlando on Labor Day weekend, August 30th through September 2nd, Dream Cars Weekend in Orlando at the Coronado Springs Resort. That should be a lot of fun. That's the first time they're doing that event. But we will hang around and, you know, hobnob a little bit and see say hi to some people. But our good friend Pete Geisler from Orlando Mustang is one of the co-sponsors of that event. So that should be pretty cool. That would be very, very neat. Anyway. Care for some gopher? <laughs> gopher. There's definitely going to be some gopher and moonshine. That sounds like that would be a lot of fun. And tasty. Mm-mm, good. The fixings are delicious. Anyway, we're going to get our guest here on the line pretty soon. We're going to go take a little commercial break here just for a secky, secky, secky. We're going to get our guest on the line, and it should be really, really interesting. we got something a little bit different this time. We're going to get into 4x4s. Hey, this is a group called Tragically Hip from Canada. Man, title of this song is, what, New Orleans is Sinking. Well, actually, New Orleans sank already, and they basically bubbled it back up to the surface, so... Kind of a groovy song, if you're Canadian. And our guest is Canadian, so stick around. We'll be right back. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Memory is muddy, what's this river that I'm in? New Orleans is sinking, man, and I don't want to swim.
If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72 plus another 9-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. From a future where men must hide underground has come a machine wrapped in flesh who kills but cannot be killed. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Terminator, an assassin from the 21st century sent back through time. His target is a woman who holds the key to the future. Her only hope is a soldier who has hunted the Terminator from the future into the present. He's not a man. Machine. Terminator. Where does it want to be? It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop. Until you are dead. Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator. Terminator. Hey guys, this is Courtney Hansen from Spike TV, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. And yes, thank you, Courtney. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. Now, let me tell you about this guy. We've had car guys on before that were into sports cars, race cars, and things like that. But this guy's genuinely into 4x4 trucks. He is a tech writer for Crawl Magazine. And I'm sure if you guys watch Spike TV on the weekends, this guy is the host of Extreme 4x4. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this afternoon, Ian Johnson. Ian, are you there? I sure am, man. It's glad to be here. So how you been? So how things in... Let's see, you're in Tennessee, right? Yeah, we're we're just south of Nashville. It's good, man. We've had a couple of good weekends of wheeling, so you don't end up getting dirt on the tires and breaking parts and having fun. That's it. Breaking parts and having fun. Yes. <laughs> so, well, tell us a little bit about you, Ian, and uh, how you got into the, the car hobby, so to speak. Well, the car, I blame it all on my first car. I tell everyone that because if I had, like, if my parents had bought me the Honda, you know, CRX that I really wanted back in 1985, then I would have had a good car, and I probably never would have become a mechanic, but instead I had to buy, like, a $500 car and basically piece it together just to get to school every day. And because of that, I just moved into becoming a mechanic after that because it was just just something I found natural aptitude for and enjoyed doing it and uh the funny story is, is that car was a was a 75 volkswagen beetle little air-cooled bug and uh fixed it all up made it a cow custom and slammed it down and when i got married uh 14 years ago my wife found that car for me and when we came back from our honeymoon it was in the driveway so i still have in my possession my very first car well congratulations that's cool that's a neat story yeah, so it's still here. And, and my boy, who's my son, who's turned 12, he came out and he sat in it in the shop the other day, and he was kind of high in it, and I just looked at him and said, no way, you get your own first car. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's kind of yeah. cool. So, yeah, now you, so that's, 
that's what started it all, you know, just working on a car and trying to keep it running. And it's kind of like it, it forces you to learn how to fix stuff, you know. Now, you're from Canada, so you were telling me earlier that uh, it's kind of like uh, your truck territory up there a little bit, right? Yeah, it, it, basically, where I'm from in Ontario, if you don't have a four-wheel drive truck, you don't get to go to work for half the year because it snows all the time. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, when I started working as a, as a mechanic, I started as an apprentice when I was 16 years old, worked at GM dealers. And uh, I ended up basically in the driveline department and basically was rebuilding automatic transmissions and transfer cases and rear ends all day, every day. And there's a big off-road scene up there because there's a lot of wilderness, and it's just fun to go out and try to get lost in the woods and have fun. And when you're fixing them all day at work, you start to learn the tips and the tricks, and you start throwing bigger axles underneath it and bigger transfer cases and bigger tires, and it's all downhill from there. It's all down, downhill, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> That's uphill. right. That's right. Well, now let me ask you this: um, you, um, you, you're tech writer for Crawl Magazine. Did that come before the TV show, or after the TV show, or during the TV show, or how'd that all come now, to fruition? The, yeah, the TV show, the first TV show I did was Monster Garage. I did that probably about eleven years ago, and okay. I just applied on the internet just for fun. I was uh, working as a, a high school shop teacher at the time. I'd made the transition out of out of being a mechanic. I'd gotten the opportunity to teach high school auto shop. And so I uh, went and got my degree and, and was teaching uh, basically grade 10, 11, 12 uh, auto shop and, and, and welding and custom fabrication. And all the kids loved that show, and I loved the show too, watched it all the time. And we'd actually watch it in class every Friday. And uh, they kept egging me on to apply, apply, you got to apply. So I did, and I ended up flying down to Long Beach and did an episode of Monster Garage. And shortly after that, the production company called me and just sort of mentioned that, hey, there's a production company in Tennessee and they're looking they're doing how-to television shows and it would probably fit really well because you're a teacher and so I was sitting in front of the computer and I said to my wife I just said hey I'm going to apply to this job in Tennessee and she kind of tuned me out thinking nah there's no way they're going to hire you a Canadian to move down to Tennessee and uh, two weeks later I was sitting in Tennessee with a job on TV nope. and uh, we've, been making, we've been making the show ever since we've been going we're moving into our 10th year right now but the Crawl Magazine deal honestly fell in our laps. I was I was met the original publisher. They they I met him at SEMA one year, and they were going to come out with a magazine, Hardcore Off Road. They'd watch the show. They wanted some tech writers, and I said, Yeah, I'll help you launch this thing, and and uh, and we kind of did. And they had some management issues throughout the years, and and it looked like the magazine was going to go away. So I stepped in with some cash and said, You know, the magazine's too important to make it go away. So. We kept it around and kept it alive, and it's been going strong ever since. On your TV show, um, Extreme 4x4, how, how does your filming work? Do you film, like, uh, two weeks and then off two weeks? Do you film uh, three weeks straight? Do you film weekends? or how, what's, your, what's your filming schedule? My schedule is basically the same as all the Power Block shows, and that is we'll be scheduled 10 days to make one television show. And on average... That's 10 days. In that 10-day period, I'll have five days with a camera crew and five days without. So I'll sit down with my producer, and we'll talk about what the next show is going to be, what project's going to come in, what parts we're going to be putting on, what, what we're going to be doing on the show. And then I'll sit down and say, okay, I need a camera crew on Monday and Tuesday, and then I don't need one for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we'll come back the following week, and I'll need three days that week. We'll just break it up. And then what we'll do is we'll come in and we'll shoot, and uh, it's very different than most other TV shows in the fact that 
the power block is kind of this weird enigma where the guy who owns the company, RTM Productions, he's got this rule, and that rule is if you're going to go on TV and say, I rebuilt this transmission, you have to be the guy to rebuild the transmission. There's nobody else going to come in and rebuild it for you. And he just, in his opinion, that gives the gives the show's credibility. So any work that's done in the extreme studio is done by me, and that's the only person in there working. So we're in there building the cars, and I'll build them. We'll film a little bit, build some more. How much input do you have as to, you know, what you're going to build um, and who maybe some of the sponsors might be or the nature of the project, you know, things like that? That's the beauty of being an off-road because there's really not a lot of off-road shows out there. Mm-hmm. And there is a line between an off-road guy and a car guy. I, I still consider myself part of park car guy. Like, I understand classic cars and custom cars and car shows and all that kind of stuff, but... For us off-road guys, we're more like a race race guys, you know. It's about it's got to work good first and look good second. And if someone's into classic cars, they probably don't really understand off-road. Well, everyone at the production company had never done an off-road show before. So once we got a couple shows under our belt, I've been very fortunate. The executive producers just basically said, listen, you know what you're doing. Have fun. Uh, build cool stuff and make good TV. And so I have 100% control over every project that, that rolls out of that place. So I just get to go to work and build stuff that comes out of my head. When you do your shows, I mean, like the filming as far as that, do you film like, uh, is it like 12, 13, 14 episodes per season, or how do you do it? We actually do 23, uh, 23 episodes a year. Really, 23, okay. Yeah, so we're it's a full-time gig. You know, we run, uh, I, I think, two weeks off a year. I always joke with the with with anyone asks me like how much how much time you work how much time to get off, and I say if you add up the basic math for our television show and you say you got ten days to do a show and and X number of days to do this and you got to shut down for SEMA and I got to go to this trade show and that trade show, we it takes fifty six weeks to make fifty two weeks worth of TV. So we're we're always sort of behind that eight ball of working, but. You know, it's not digging ditches, so it's a fun, fun gig. Oh, absolutely! And you're in a truck, so in four-wheel drive, so right. it's kind of cool. Well, let me ask you this: How many hours a day do you guys uh, shoot? We usually shoot between eight to ten, depending on the day, and then uh, that's a shoot day is going to be between eight and ten hours. It's not, it's not crazy because we we'll stretch it out and we'll plan the projects and realistically, you know, also my producer and, and myself will sit down and. We know how much time we need, so we're never really working those 20-hour days like some people do because it's just not needed for a how-to show, you know. How extreme can you um, get on your shows? I mean, in other words, how extreme can some of the projects get? Do you keep it more or less like for the average Joe kind of guy, or do you like to do something really, really extreme? I mean, like you talk about you know, the guy with the average four-wheel drive vehicle or the guy with the extreme rock crawler. I mean, how, how extreme can you get on, uh, on the projects that you do on the show? I run the gamut. I try to keep one or two projects a year that are going to be cheap. You know, we've built we've built buggies. That's the beauty off road. You you can dump five grand into a car and go out and have just as much fun as the guy who got fifty in his. Now you may be fixing it more, but you're going to be able to go out and have fun, and that's that's the best part about any type of off roading. So what I do in the year is when I lay out my whole project, you know, we've taken a Jeep Cherokee and kept track of every penny we've put in it and landed right around the five thousand dollar mark and went out and had fun. In the same year, I built uh, an S10 Truggy, which basically has a big block, uh, 4L80E, twin transfer cases, Rockwell axles, 46-inch style tires, four-wheel steering, custom paint job. You know, it's, it's an $80,000 car that will go and bounce off trees for the afternoon. So 
we go we go to both ends of the spectrum pretty regularly. How you mentioned SEMA, which which is probably the show of shows, but there's some other events that you go to. Do you do you show up at a lot of those events? Do you build stuff specifically for those events? For example, SEMA. Have you built anything specifically for SEMA? I we did I did a giveaway car for SEMA last year. I did a, a, a pickup truck, or sorry, not two or three years ago. We did a pickup truck for WD40, big Chevy Dually Duramax truck. Uh, did a 22.5 conversion on it, basically quote unquote the ultimate work truck. And they auctioned it off for charity. That was a few years ago. This year, uh, MagnaFlow is going to have a Jeep in their booth that I built for them. Uh, that is a the show just aired two weeks ago. It's a 2013 Jeep JK that is a zombie apocalypse truck. So we actually went out and hunted zombies with it in the woods when we were done building it. So that'll be at SEMA. Aside from that, I do a lot of the smaller shows and then a lot of the wheeling shows. The, the, the thing about off-road is you'll find some shows that are just trade shows like a SEMA or an off-road expo or maybe even the Indianapolis four-wheel jamboree. But then we also have shows that are part trail ride. We just had one last weekend in uh, just south of here in Linville, Tennessee, where uh, we set had vendors came in, Holly fuel ingestion came in and set up because they're trying to break in that whole off-road market. They see a lot of growth there. And, you know, vendors come up and set up, but then we go ride trails all day. And I'll do probably about five or six of those in a year. No kidding. Now you mentioned that those uh, the vendors. You mentioned some national companies, and that their perspective is is that the off road off road and four wheel drive uh, industry is is growing, and they want to capitalize on that market. What's your sense of the the off road uh, market, so to speak? In other words, guys, you know, hobbyists kind of getting into it. The off road market's strong. Always has been strong because it's got a backbone vehicle, and that's the Jeep. The Jeep is like the Harley Davidson of the car world. Okay. You know, it, it, it's a vehicle that, if someone's ever owned one, it's iconic to them. You know, they, they owned a Jeep when they were 16. They want a Jeep again when they're older. They, and that that just happened. And when uh, when everything started to slow down, we saw a lot of lot of fall off on lifted street trucks. There wasn't so many. You know, no one was running around buying a brand new diesel truck and putting twenty thousand dollars worth of aftermarket parts on it. But the Jeep market was still strong, and and that's that's what has carried uh, hardcore off-road through this sort of economic downturn that we've had, and it just comes back up. And the Jeep, it's like a gateway drug, you know. You get that Jeep, and you go out and you go four-wheeling, and you break something. Well, then you go and you buy new axles, and then they don't break anymore. The steering breaks, so then you upgrade the steering. Within four years, you've basically got a buggy with a Jeep grill on it, and you're just you're hitting the hardest trails you can find. No kidding. So what are your thoughts on the new Jeeps versus the old Jeeps? You know, the old CJ5s and, and 7s, uh, and then, uh, you know, they'd rent the, uh, what do they call those, Wranglers, the little... Yeah, you can't argue with numbers. Uh, I met with the Jeep guys at Moab East Jeep Safari last year just to talk to them, and, and uh, we just sort of were talking shop. And I think they basically told me that last year's uh, production run of those JKs, which is the new two-door and four-door Wrangler, they said... Uh, Officially, last year, that Jeep has outsold every other model of Wrangler combined. Really? So you yeah, you take the, that came out in 07, so in six years, it outsold, you know, 30, 40 years of Jeeps. So they are popular. They serve a niche market. I think it's, it, it's coming along well. The Rubicon's really fit a good sort of rock crawling market. They're very much what I like to call a West Coast truck because they're a big truck. On the East Coast, the trees just get in the way and, and eat them up pretty hard. But you mean you? I mean you can't argue with the popularity of a vehicle that sells that many models. 
Do you think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they've civilized the Jeep as opposed to, you know, back when, when I was in high school? I mean, if you had a CJ5 or CJ7, it was cool, but it that, it was crude. Oh, absolutely. I think they, uh, the other uh, astounding uh, figure that comes out of Jeep is that starting in about 90, 97, which would be uh, right about when, when Chrysler was really in the heyday of the Jeep, that was when the, the TJ came out. That's when they brought back the round headlight Jeep. Mm-hmm. Uh, first-time Jeep owners, so your brand-new Jeep owners off the lot, it, it's, it flipped. It was 80% women, 20% men, and it's stayed that way since. Now, second owners, it's the inverse. It's once, once you know, a, a woman will buy that Jeep off the lot, take the top off, it's a fun convertible, it's fun to drive. When they trade it in, there's a guy lined up to buy it to start cutting it up to turn it into an off-road truck. And that's just that's been the, that's been the the trend ever since. What years seem to be the most popular in terms of hot rodding or chopping up or making cool vehicle you know off road vehicles out of? And as far as the aftermarket parts industry supplying that particular model, which one would it be? It, it's it it basically breaks into what model you want because there's like you were talking before about CJs and. It basically boils down to your CJ, the CJ series, which is your old school Jeep that everyone thinks of when they think of a, a classic Jeep. Mm-hmm. That was the one from the 60s through the 80s. Then there was a YJ, which was the square headlight. That was when Chrysler first took it over. It rebirthed it again as the TJ, and now it's new model years, the JK. Each basically model brand has a fan base, and they'll stick with it. You know, guys, will, they want a CJ because they want that classic old iron, and they want to have, you know, very simple electronics packages guys will buy yj's because honestly they're dirt cheap you can pick them up for 1500 bucks and start chopping them up uh best performing jeep for off-road ever is the jeep tj that's your you know 97 through 04 uh that was the best off the lot jeep i think that it was ever built and it's still got a huge following today automatic versus stick shift it depends. I'm a fan of automatic because with the hill climbs that we do, if you're grabbing a gear, you're rolling backwards. Mm-hmm. But there is a benefit to having the low range ratios of the standard transmissions because you do get a deeper first gear. But we often make up for that elsewhere in the drivetrain with, uh, um, you know, we, we change out the transfer cases and put lower gears in it. We change out the axles and put different gears in it. So I think the, the automatic has taken over, especially now that we can build them incredibly strong. In the 80s, we had some bad transmissions, but, I mean, everyone's still tried and true turbo 400s, 4L80Es. You know, you can build them to be bulletproof, and that's basically what we need. How about um, the uh, the general use is probably, what, just modest moderate trails or are they getting pretty extreme like you know trying to crawl up and down in between rocks and some pretty steep uh hills and stuff you'll see guys put jeeps in places where you won't believe it and it, it all just depends on, on how how much money you're willing to spend when you come out the other side that's that's to be honest with you you know like we'll we'll do hill climb events down here and i'll take my tube buggy out and it's a tube buggy basically it was never a car it started as round tube on a rack we pull it out come up with a chassis design, you build it, and you just throw a big motor in it, lots of horsepower, and, and you, everything's aftermarket in it, top to bottom. We'll go out to an event, throw it up a hill, you know, and it, it's, you're looking at a $1,000 prize, but you're going to probably break a $4,000 axle shaft trying to win that prize. So it's all, it's all just for bragging rights, really. 
So to for our the argument's sake, for our listeners, a tube buggy would be similar to a rail buggy, like a dune buggy, but basically it's four-wheel drive at, with, with state-of-the-art uh, goodies under it as far as uh, make it capable of doing what it's got to do, which is to climb hills. Yeah, and a two, yeah, a two buggy, if you were to think of like a classic dune buggy or like a sand buggy, they mm-hmm. look similar to that. The only difference is, is, you know, it's high horsepower V8 engines. It's a four-wheel drive instead of, the, you know, you, some of them have the old Volkswagen engine in the back, and, and it's sky's the limit, you know. You can, we, we race our two buggies in, in uh, races here on the East Coast, and we'll drag them out west to uh, events called King of the Hammers, which is billed as the toughest one-day race in the world. And you basically haul your rig out there, and you race it, and uh, it's 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 you basically are pushing every part of that car to the limit. So there is no factory parts left in that car. <laughs> the enthusiasm and interest, East Coast versus West Coast, North versus South, is it pretty much universal all across the country? It's the funniest thing. It's funny you mentioned that because that's a huge, and it's blowing up even more now. There's a huge East versus West rivalry, and there always has been. There's a there's West Coast four wheeling and East Coast four wheeling, and in the West Coast, you're in a lot of iconic places. You know, you're in Moab at, at uh, Eastern Jeep Safari, climbing over Red Rocks. You're in Farmington, New Mexico, crawling up huge cliffs in Choke Cherry Canyon. You're running the Rubicon Trail, which is an old mining trail through northern california and then you've got the hammers trails which are part of johnson valley which is just outside 29 palms literally in death valley you know you're there's nothing the closest light bulb is 100 miles away and on the east coast you've just got you know crazy dirty south wheeling which is huge right now which is big hill climbs lots of horsepower almost similar to what you'd think you'd see when you see monster truck stuff you know it's just it's almost like drag racing up a vertical hill and there's a huge sort of rivalry and always has been, always will be, between which is harder. And I've wheeled coast to coast. I've dragged my junk from the north to the south to the east to the west and hit as many trails as I could find. And it's none of it's harder. It's just all hard. There's no question about it. It all, it all breaks the same at the end of the day. How about winter versus summer versus, you know, seasons? No, man, we wheel year-round. That's the best part. Winter wheeling is great. If you can get up into the north and do some winter wheeling, you got to set your rig up a little bit different. But, uh, you know, we'll wheel up there. The only time that really kind of gets the drag is in the dead of summer. You don't want to be out in Death Valley wheeling, <laughs> and that's just because of the temperature. But winter wheeling is great. We'll go out in the winter and plow through the snow, and it's just a good time. It's neat, really neat. Now, let me ask you this. Now, we've talked about the Jeeps and stuff like that. What about four-wheel drive trucks, Ford, Chevy, Dodge? What's your thoughts on that? What's the interest, enthusiasm? I think that the four-wheel drive truck market is really different right now, and a lot of it is, is, is like, if you're talking brand-new trucks, I'm interested to see what happens with this uh, Dodge small diesel. And I think that's going to that's gonna change a lot of people. And, and I, there's almost like a battle to try to find that Swiss Army knife truck for everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm interested to see what manufacturers come up with, because the EcoBoost blew my mind. I was, uh, we were at a wheel, in the, a wheel in, and a buddy of mine pulled in, and, he had a 32-foot gooseneck on the back with two Jeeps on it, and I had to take a double take because he was towing it with an EcoBoost. And I kind of fell over, and he had a little V6, and he said, no, man, the towing capacity of this truck is 11,000 pounds. That's like a super-duty number. It's crazy. So he was so driving it. For our, for our listeners' sake, you're talking about EcoBoost Ford, like an F-150, F-250 or something like that, or F-150, actually, right? 
Yeah, the EcoBoost is the F-150 with the little V6 with the twin turbos on it that gets, you know, insane gas mileage when you're driving at 20-some-odd miles per gallon, but still has it's still supposed to be a truck truck when you need to be a truck. And he said it works well. He said it, it tows like a gas truck, which, you know, means hills aren't your friends, and, you know, you got to plan, plan your maneuvers on the highway. But he said he can pull 11,000 pounds with it all day long, and that's pretty impressive for a V6 truck when you think about it. Really? Now, you mentioned a small diesel that Chrysler's coming out with. I'm not real familiar with that. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Dodge has announced, I don't know if it's official, I think it's been leaked all over the Internet a couple times, that the Ram 1500 is probably going to get a European diesel next year. So it'll be one of the first half-ton pickup trucks with a, with a diesel engine in it. And Europe's always kind of been leaps and bounds ahead of us uh, in diesel technology. If you ever travel to Europe, you'll uh, you'll see diesel cars everywhere, and you won't know they're a diesel. It'll freak you out the first time someone tells you it's a diesel because it doesn't sound like a diesel. It's not spewing out black smoke. It doesn't rattle like a diesel. You'd think you're driving a gasoline-powered car, except it's getting 45, 50 miles per gallon. So the Chrysler, I think it's with a Daimler deal, uh, is supposed to be putting a small diesel in that Ram 1500, and I think the numbers that come out of it will be pretty interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I, I was just going to, my next question was going to be, is it going to be affiliated with Mercedes because they still have some affiliation there with them? Yeah, I think it's got to be, you know, because that's where it looks like that's where a lot of their technology is being pulled out from. And, and GM's doing the same. If you look in their car market, they're coming out with that cruise diesel, which mm-hmm. is a which is a European-based diesel, and the Duramax. Not a lot of people know this, but the Duramax that everyone loves and, and, and swears by in the, in the Chevy truck, it's an Isuzu-based right. diesel engine that's been in Europe for 20 years. You know, So it, there's a lot of technology in the diesel market that no one seems to be tapping into. Um, just to digress, jump back again. You mentioned Europe. How is the 4x4 market in Europe compared to the United States? I mean, I know it's not as strong, but I mean, is, there, is, it, is it growing over there? Yeah, actually, uh, the, the race series that we race in, which is called Ultra 4, and it's a it's a series of hardcore off-roaders, combination of desert racing and rock crawling. They added two European events last year. There's a there's a there's a uh, UK uh, event and then another European event. Uh, it's a little bit different because of the rules that they have to follow in in Europe for towing vehicles. There's, there's it's harder to move vehicles around I think in Europe than it is here in North America. So they uh, they they're not, it's not as big. But there is a, a, a good amount of guys who are doing some hardcore wheeling in Europe, and it's pretty cool to see. Have you had a chance to go over there and race and participate? I've never raced there. The, I've been to Europe many times. Uh, my, my wife and I actually went uh, to Ireland. Our most recent trip was Ireland to go to the uh, 250th anniversary of, of Guinness beer. And uh, there's not much of Ireland left because I drank most of it. But that was <laughs> Ian, that's an Irish-Scottish name, so, you know. That's right. Yeah, there's some in there. Yeah, there's some so in there. Back, went back to the motherland to, to, to have some fun, so it was good. It was lots of fun. Good, good, good. Well, let me ask you this. Now, that racing, let's go back to the racing. The racing that you're doing, you know, most racing nowadays is, and it's, it's sad, but it's short of vintage, but most of the, the new racing is kind of spec racing for all practical purposes. You know, NASCAR, IndyCar. So, it really, it's up to the drivers because the cars are all the same. In your racing... Are your cars set up differently, or you have to? Are your cars set up like spec cars? No, that's the beauty of off-road racing. Off-road racing is truly, and I do think that's why. If you look at some of the big names that have come back to off-road racing, like Robbie Gordon recently has kind of moved away from that on that asphalt racing to come back and get dirty again. 
it's because off-road racing is, is still kind of run what you brung, and, and if you want to try something different, you can try it. If you want to try a different suspension system, you can try it. It's really, you know, you show up and you lay it all on the line and you see if you can pull it off, and if you can pull it off, that's great. And if you break, too bad, you're going home. You know, the 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 two big players in off-road racing are, are your desert racing, which is your scores and, and your best in the desert, and that's what a lot of people think of when they think of off-road racing and they think of trophy trucks and these guys driving the desert and helicopters chasing them and stuff like that. But we race Ultra 4, and Ultra 4 has a very strict no-chase rule, and that is you basically have to carry all your spare parts and all your tools, and if your car breaks on the race course, you got to fix it and keep going. So, you know, the last race we did out in Johnson Valley, it was 113 miles, and it took you almost, almost nine hours to finish it. Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a long day in the dirt, but it's lots of fun. Lots of fun indeed. You had mentioned also that you do something, you do like an on-the-road show. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, basically it kind of was born out of just hanging out, talking to some people one day, and the same question always came up every t- everywhere I go somewhere, and it was just, you know, everyone wants to know, aside from the show, outside of the show, outside of the magazine, all that kind of stuff, what what do, what do I do in my own garage? Like, what 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 kind of car do I have? What do I drive? What do I build? All that kind of jazz. So we just said this year, you know what? We're going to bring it on the road. And uh, my my shop, which is just a private shop, you know, I only work on my junk in it. It's always been called the Big Tire Garage between me and my friends and, and, and my family. And we just said, that's it. Let's take the Big Tire Garage on the road. So we've had a couple shows already. We, we were out at, up at uh, Pennsylvania at a big Jeep fest called PA Jeeps. Just at a, a Crawl Reader's Ride last weekend. Uh, next month, I'm headed to Hot Springs, Arkansas for a KOH qualifier. And then I'll be up in Indianapolis for Pennsylvania Jeep Fest. And then after that, down in uh, Cookville, Tennessee for the Dixie Run. And I'm just bringing a couple of my rigs. We're going to set up the, set up a, a booth that looks like the inside of my shop. We'll do some tech seminars and give away some T-shirts and sign some posters and have some fun. Is any of that stuff going to be televised? I mean, is, do you ever use that stuff on your show? Uh, we don't because, honestly, moving crews around, it's like moving a small city, you know. It's crazy. So with with, uh, with the schedule that we've got, I'm basically, the last show we did, the PA Jeep show, we were in the studio shooting all day, and then I jumped in my in my hauler, ran up to Pennsylvania, was there for Saturday, left out Sunday afternoon, and then we were back in the studio on Monday morning. So there's times when this type of thing, honestly, it was just something that I wanted to try for fun and uh, get out there and, you know, we printed up, you know, 1,000 giveaway T-shirts and a bunch of posters, and I got some stuff to give away to people. Or just, like, give back to the guys who watch the show and read the magazine and see what's going on and just uh, just get out and shake some shake some hands and meet some people. Drink that's, some beer. That's cool. Drink some beer. There you go. Guinness, right? That's right. Hey, do you do – how about charities? You know, I know we mentioned uh, – we always talk about that with some of our, our, our special guests and stuff, but uh, you're into what? Kind of like a recreational – preservation type thing off-road yeah the, the the biggest battle we have in off-roading is just is bad image and and that's the truth and so i do a lot of work with um companies there's a couple big big hitters it's blue ribbon coalition and then we've got some local friends of organizations like friends of johnson valley and then the southern Four drive association and our biggest thing is we keep losing land you know and and we're not out there to damage the environment. We're out there to preserve it. You know, my son's 12. I want him to go wheeling when he's the same age as me in 30 years. I want him to be out there having fun in the dirt, too. So we we lose public land left, right, and center because 
people just look at us as, you know, we're out there destroying the world and it would be better if we didn't drive our trucks over stuff. And But at the end of the day, we're out there to enjoy the environment just like everyone else. And, and so we, I work a lot with the, with the organizations like that to preserve public land, keep it open, let it keep us access to it. And then private land, we do a lot of trail cleanups and, and, uh, and stuff like that. So that, that's on the land use side of thing. And then everything else that we do, and it's really common for a lot of off-roaders, we do a lot of military givebacks. There's, we do a, there seems to be a real tie-in with hardcore off-roading and military. You'll always run into a lot of military guys. So we do a lot of work with the Wounded Warrior Foundation and, and stuff like that. And I just partnered up with a crew up in Pennsylvania, which was pretty cool, where they're actually taking injured vets who are coming back modifying their vehicles so they can drive them again. So let's say we, the one they're working on right now, the gentleman lost his leg so he couldn't drive a standard anymore and needs an automatic. So I'm helping them out with some, some tech stuff and some, and some parts so they can do that conversion and get that guy back, back in the woods having some fun with his friends, even though he's coming back as, a, as an injured warrior. Wow, that's super. Hey, Ian, we're out of time, but I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. You know what? I want to have you on again sometime because you got some great stuff going on, and I want to hear some of the cool stories. Special thanks to Ian Johnson, the host of Extreme 4x4 on Spike TV every weekend. All you 4x4 lovers, be sure and check out the show. Meantime, I want to tell all my listeners, thank you for tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Remember the most legendary and fascinating names right here on Nostalgic Radio and Cars every week. I want everybody to check out our Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Stay safe. Drive carefully. Love your family. And we'll see you at some of the car shows. We chased our pleasures here. Dug our treasures there. I don't mean to tell the tales out of school, but there's a fella in there. I'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown day. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker.